Hello there, and welcome back to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and I'm podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands in Amersfoort, or more precisely, this little village called Hooglanderveen, or Google pronunciation would be Hooglanderveen. Just look it up. <laughs> Google it. And here in Hugelanderveen, I'm having a great time, uh, not just recording this show for you, but I'm also recording it with an audience uh, in, on YouTube. And that audience consists of my patrons. Um, so I invited them over, and many of them are here and are uh, joining the conversation. And it's a lot of fun. Actually, I have a surprise. This episode is going to be a first uh, at least in recent history, I'm going to have a guest, one of my patrons and one of my friends uh, from Sweden is going to join me for the Peculiar Bunch segment. And I will reveal his name very soon. I still need to rehearse the Swedish pronunciation a little bit more. <laughs> but anyway, thanks to all my patrons for bringing you this show without advertisements and helping me in so many other ways to do the work that I do. If you want to join them and get access to my weekly show, Father Roderick to the Max, as well as to the Discord server where you can hang out, for instance, while I'm streaming live, then by all means go to patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. It took me several months of procrastination and corona crisis, but I'm finally, finally filming my TV show. And uh, this is something I would have liked to do months ago. But because the entire world was, of course, changing, my life was changing, there was so much to do for the parish during those uh, first months of the corona crisis that I just had to postpone everything uh, when it comes to filming, not to mention the fact that you couldn't really go anywhere because of the danger of getting infected or infect other people without knowing. Well, now that the situation is a little bit more stable here in the Netherlands, um, I can finally go out and film. The thing is, I'd been procrastinating for so long that I just couldn't get going anymore. I started to become very insecure about <laughs> this whole project of filming 15 episodes. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, has really helped me break through that wall of procrastination and fear by just walking with me uh, going over these fears, you know, why, what, what would you like to do ideally in the month of August? And I said, well, I'd like to film 15 episodes of my TV show, but it's so much work and I need to call all these people and find guests and basically I'm not going to have any sleep or any time for, for anything if, uh, and, and then even then I don't think I can pull it off 15 episodes. It's a ton of work. So he said, well, well, let's go over your values first. What is important to you in general? What, what are the things you really think are important in your life? So I said, you know, my parish, of course, my family, reading, leisure time, uh, podcasting, my, my audience, my followers on, on social media, on YouTube. Um, and yes, the TV show as well. That, and so he's like, okay, so if you, if you would give that a place this next month, you don't want to throw anything of that away because it's obviously important to you. How many episodes do you think you can make? And then the answer was super simple. It was like four. Four, that's all I can do if I want to honor all the other stuff. So 
that re- released me of that pressure of, you know, I got to film 15 episodes because I want to margin from October till December. And I'm like, no, I want to have a life right now and based on my values instead of based on my fear of not making any deadlines. And that, so that was a, that completely, completely deblocked me on that level. And then I followed up another piece of advice. And if you want to hear more about this whole learning process that I'm going through, I invite you to listen to the last couple of episodes of The Walk because I, I kind of go into the nitty-gritty of the whole process uh, for, for much longer. Um, uh, another uh, uh, tip that he gave me is if you, really, if you want inspiration, if you want energy, if you want to find solutions... The simplest way is to go out for a walk or to go out for a run. Physical exercise, literally moving your body, is having a massive impact on your creative abilities. Even, uh, you know, the, the um, being able to process things that happen to you, um, you'll see. And that's, so, that's what I did. I started every morning with a run. Um, I, actually, I alternate between runs and bike rides because bike riding my bike uses other muscles. Uh, because of what you, if I would run every morning, an hour, I would injure myself. And But I always go out for at least an hour and often much more because I get so inspired. And that's where all of a sudden all the ideas started to happen. And it's funny because I, I prepared this show and the contents of these episodes a couple of months ago. And but it, I, I, f- I still felt that pressure. So I was like, okay, well, just whatever. I'll just interview anyone who can count to ten. And and I felt it didn't feel good. It didn't feel like it was my show. It didn't feel like it it uh, it it was anything that I was really interested in, that I was passionate about. And I know that if I'm truly passionate about something, you can tell. That's why you're listening to this show, right? It, because I get excited about the stuff that I talk about and things that I don't care for, I'm not going to mention in this show. So um, enthusiasm is part of, of my media work. And, and, and now this, the, all these new ideas are starting to emerge. And, and I'm no longer preoccupied with this is a good balance or mm, it's just... I want to talk to that person or that location would be so awesome. And I get all excited and then I'm like, okay, who, who is in that neighborhood? Who can I uh, invite to, to join me in, in, in that uh, situation? Ah, oh, that would be really, really, really cool. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. And I've now, uh, uh, the, the, the people and the contents and the ideas for the four episodes that I'm filming this month, but I also already have plans and even also some beginnings of, uh, you know, uh, actual production for, for the rest of the, of the year. So that is what's going on in my part of the world. I love it and I am super grateful to Cliff to have helped me. Uh, thanks to his coaching, I was able to get through this and really was and still is a very eye-opening experience for me. And uh, shows you that you're never too old to learn (laughs) especially learning about yourself and how you function because if there's one manual I'm missing it's the manual of uh, Father Roderick (laughs) how do you not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine I just get bored and never make it to the end you know you need a movie education 
You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. All right. Time to talk about movies and TV shows. And this time, I want to talk about the most unlikely movie for this show. I never thought I would be reviewing this because I sampled some... <laughs> some of this stuff and i was like okay that's absolutely not for me that is way too high energy and just weird and i will never watch an, an episode of this let alone an entire movie but i did and i actually enjoyed it <laughs> believe it or not today i'm gonna review the spongebob squarepants movie <laughs> And it has opened my eyes to where many of the of the jokes on the internet come from. Uh, a lot of the memes are from SpongeBob SquarePants, and since I've never watched that, I never really realized uh, that uh, that that was the origin of all these memes. Now I know. Now I understand. So let me play the trailer here for you first. Deep beneath the world's greatest ocean lives a sponge unlike any other. Hooray! Bubble party! For years, he enjoyed a carefree life. Hey! Who blew this bubble? But all that was about to change. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! Hey! <laughs> Well, good luck with that. My crown! Ah! Someone has stolen the royal crown! <laughs> Who can stop me now? <laughs> you, be back here with my crown in exactly ten days. He can do it in nine, eight, seven, six, Patrick! Five! Six it is, then. Now, what is it? The paddy wagon. Sesame seed finish. Steel belted pickles. And under the hood? Wow. Yeah. Wow. We will begin a journey to become the hero he was born to be. Are they laughing at us? No, Patrick. They're laughing next to us. Hooray for SpongeBob! Get ready. Let's get it out! Go for big adventure. Oh, boy. <laughs> How you doing? Trouble. Things have gotten a lot worse since you left. Plankton's turned everyone we know into slaves. Even Gary. Oh, Big twists. Oh my gosh, Patrick, you have a mustache! So do you! Oh. 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 Big action. Big surprises when Sponge meets world. Who are you? I'm David Hasselhoff. For the very <laughs> first time. <laughs> the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. <laughs> this is so incredibly out there. This movie. Uh, anyway. The SpongeBob SquarePants, of course, has been this major uh, success for children's on Nickelodeon. And I've heard children talk about it. There are often children in church, and then when I have a talk with them at the end of the homily or at the end of Mass, you know, sometimes ask them what do they watch and what do they like. And so they, they inform me about current 
kids' culture. And so many of them at one point were were mentioning SpongeBob, and some of them even wore T-shirts with SpongeBob. So I, I need to check this out. So I saw some YouTube videos of SpongeBob. It's like, oh my goodness, I feel so old. This is so different from the chil- the children's TV that I watched as a child. I watched a lot of Swedish series like uh, Pippi Longstocking and Emil, and uh, but that was usually very slow paced, very uh, I don't know, well written television. This was complete insanity, and and it was going at a pace where. You know, you, you just drink a liter of, of pure melted sugar and that will probably give you the the type of energy that you that is in these cartoons. And so there was this movie that I knew came out a couple of years ago. It's like, how can people even watch one episode of this? Imagine watching this for an hour and a half or two hours. That is enough to be the end of me. <laughs> So how did I got to see this movie? Well, I um, I was testing out the equipment. Uh, I was uh, Inga was here with Hank, uh, and they were helping me with the uh, the rectory. And so one of the things that we did was in the main room where the guest room or what is it the room where I can have friends. Um, that's where we placed a, a TV, and then we also connected. Uh, why the hi-fi system with a lot of wires a lot of work and so at one point we were super tired i think we also had a barbecue beforehand and so we wanted to try out that new room and so i switched on was it netflix maybe netflix or amazon prime doesn't matter and and there was this button for the spongebob movie so i clicked on it and we were like okay what is this (laughs) and then Within a minute, we were sold. We were just watching this movie, like hardly believing that we were watching it. But it was very entertaining, and we watched it all the way to the end. And actually, I was like, wow, that was a funny movie. <laughs> it was really, it's so out there, but at the same time, it's so well-made and well-paced. And the actual storyline, you, you could tell from the trailer, is very classic. You know, it's this quest. They have only a couple of days. Uh, to go and find the MacGuffin and bring it back before their friend is killed by the sea king or whatever. It doesn't really matter. I think they have to retrieve the the crown because it covers the bald spot of the king. <laughs> and then they keep making these bald jokes and everything. It's there are a lot of, a lot of jokes in there that are definitely not for the kids. Not that they are adult humor, but they're they're. Ex- clearly aimed at the parents that have to sit through that movie with the kids. So the makers were actually very much aware that if they would go full, you know, full force uh, SpongeBob TV show, most parents would never take their kids. <laughs> but this movie, I think, works for, for, uh, for adults too. And, um, and it's also the, the characters, I only knew their physical appearance, um, but they're actually quite uh, quite sympathetic and funny and and, and just weird. I'm, I kept thinking this is probably the what the Muppet Show was for us as kids. That's what Square squ- uh, SpongeBob SquarePants is to kids nowadays. So all in all, would I watch it again? Yes, I would probably watch it again just to get even more of the jokes. And then there was, for instance, this meme of like uh, a little while later, and I always like. 
where does that come from? You see it all over TikTok, for instance. And now I was watching this movie, and then all of a sudden it's a little while later. Oh my gosh, it's SpongeBob SquarePants. Now I get it. It's so funny. So, um, yeah, the actual animation is... Um, it's not that special. They didn't even upgrade it like that. what they did with the Simpsons movie, where the actual animation in the Simpsons movie is like, whoa, this is really taking the show to the next level. Um, here, it definitely has the look and feel of the, of the regular television show until they move to the real world. And you heard it in the trailer. You've got an appearance of David Hasselhoff, <laughs> the guy from Knight Rider. <laughs> And it is totally made for the parents, for the adults, because the kids don't know who this guy is. And it is such a tongue-in-cheek self-parody. Um, yeah, I just couldn't keep laughing. It was just the most, the wildest, strangest, funniest thing. And I applaud the makers for being this courageous. <laughs> so highly recommend it. This, I never thought I would say it. Highly recommend the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you weren't just afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? No, we don't eat light bulbs, but we have these all these weird customs and traditions like, like patron saints that I talked about in the last episode. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So last week I talked uh, about the, the, this whole phenomenon of patron saints. And you have patron saints for almost everything in the Catholic Church. And then while I was uh, talking about that... Uh, someone in, in the chat room said, well, I'm so sad because there doesn't seem to be a patron saint for magicians. I kind of feel abandoned. And uh, what's this about? Well, that person happens to be... Uh, I'm going to try Samuel Varg. Hey, Samuel. I'll just... Hello! You, I'll call you Samuel from now on. <laughs> Yeah, that is probably better. I've been rehearsing your name because you're from Sweden, right? And so yes, I am. I always want to honor the language. I like languages, and so I always do my best to not completely make a fool of myself, which I'm pretty sure I did. So anyway, the, <laughs> the reason that you made that uh, remark in the chat room was that actually your job is you are a magician. Is that correct? Yes, I'm a full-time magician since uh, 10 years this March. 10 years? And how old are you? Can I ask you that? Uh, I just turned 37, if I'm not miscounting. Whoa, so you were a magician before I was a priest. That is crazy. Uh, how did you get into that? Well, like, short, long story short, I was about to say, I'm sort of tripping over my tongue here. Uh, as most... Uh, Kids, I got a magic book or a magic box when I was about 10 years old. Uh -huh. And uh, I started to perform uh, tricks or routines, as you're supposed to say when you're a true magician, oh. for my family. Uh -huh. And uh, then it was sort of like a hobby for my teenage years. And in my late teenage years, at uh, the end of high school, I actually met a professional magician who 
showed me my first sort of real trick that was the first experience I had with a real trick. Do you not remember just the trick? a small thing? Do you rem remember which trick it was? Oh yes, I, I that's my still my favorite trick and I perform it every time. It's called the crazy man's handcuffs. You interlocks uh, two rubber bands between your both hands between the thumb and index finger and you lock them so they are like yeah. a chain uh -huh. and then they melt like like there was nothing they melt right through each other and then they are unlocked oh wow okay so it was an escape trick almost <laughs> More or less. That's why it's called the crazy man's handcuffs, yeah. because it's with rubber bands instead of handcuffs. So when was the moment that you thought, I'm going to make this my job? This is my profession? Oh, oh. I actually, that was never the plan, because it all started in uh, 2008, when the economical crisis started to sort of roll in over Europe. And uh, I had graduated since a few years, and I was still trying to figure out was a, what I wanted to do. I was actually thinking of becoming a priest back then. Oh, wow. But, uh, <laughs> or a pastor, you'd uh -huh. say here. Uh, because I grew up with one foot within the Protestant church here in Sweden called Ecumenia. Ah, okay. And uh, I was uh, very interested in that and always had uh, that sort of very grounded faith that of course there is a god but i wasn't really invested that much but I, I was thinking about it so i was working then as a what you would call a consultant within the car industry so i was making um, uh, head headrests and uh, well a lot of the interiors in uh, volvo cars oh wow the and then the, the economical the world, crisis right? came yeah. and the whole industry was shut down basically so i was out of a job Ah. And I've been always kind of proud, uh, <laughs> that part of me. You mentioned that I'm from Sweden. I'm actually half Swedish, half American, half Irish. Oh, wow. So okay. my American side said, no, you're not going to go and get uh, sort of cash from the government. Now you need to create your own company. Mm. So I started to, okay, maybe I can um, do some magic for people. So I started to send out emails to people I, I knew had uh, corporations and that kind of stuff and said, well, um, I can do magic for a cheap price at uh -huh. your uh, next event or something, or next time your birthday or something like that. Right. And that led me to actually, after a couple of years, I took a part-time job, but uh, I started to earn some money, and I was thinking, huh, maybe this is something I should try. Ah. And then in 2010, I left uh, a very serious relationship for many years, and uh, then I wanted to sort of start anew again. So I got a small apartment, I had no loans, nothing. And uh, I was thinking, well, if there is a time to try this out, it is now. I only need a couple of gigs a month to actually sort of make my living because it's uh -huh. a small room, no loans. So, and after just a few months, I actually got a contract that was for three years. Wow. A contract uh, as a yeah, magician. That, was, that is uh, incredible. Whoa. <laughs> and during those three years, since I had the contract, I could also sort of build a foundation with different companies, maybe come back every second year or something yeah, yeah. and uh, perform. And it's just been keep uh, rolling on until the exact day when it was 10 years, because then Corona came and oh. everything 
get everything out of the window. <laughs> no, I, I actually survived uh, quite well compared with most of my colleagues because mm-hmm. everyone I know uh, lost all of their income, basically. Oh. And uh, I maybe just lost half of it. Oh, and how? where did you get the other half? Did you do, like perform oh, well, online? That, I or? still have gigs. Oh, you still have gigs, but, but then with social distancing. Yeah, because uh, I never really did the big shows. I'm not like uh, David Copperfield or something who uh-huh. do the big things. I've always focused on the small stage, a lot of close-up magic at restaurants and that kind of stuff. Ah, cool. Uh, so bigger restaurants, they could still have 50 people. And if they had many rooms, they could actually have 50 people in each room. So I could, uh, I still had some contracts. I just, uh, yeah, I never really lost all of my income, just the big ones. Wow. And then also unexpectedly, because of that extra time during the Corona crisis, you had a you had a new son come in your life your life just recently that you give could give so so much more attention I suppose now. Yeah, that actually I would have gone into lockdown either way because he was he just came um, in, into this world eight days ago. So during July, I always try to take a semester anyway. Yeah, but I've been into lockdown with the rest of my family now in our house mm. for close to a month. So I've been sort of climbing on the walls here. I can imagine because that something. must be for someone who's always out on stage and 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 creative, and then all of a sudden you're constantly at home. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that must be hard. <laughs> Plus, well, you've got two kids now. That is also a job, right? <laughs> oh, each kid is a full time job. So that is one of the perks of actually, I guess, being a priest within the Catholic Church. You don't have to change their poopy diapers. <laughs> True, true. Th- th- those are definitely benefits. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted to talk about a little bit about your question. Why, why isn't there a, a patron saint of magicians? And uh, it turns out, there, you're right, there is not an official, officially declared patron saint. But the whole thing of the Pope saying or proclaiming, well, this saint is by from now on until eternity, the patron saint of, I don't know, Lego... Um, that actually is very recent. The patron saints uh, have ex- always existed. Uh, right from the beginning, people were attributing certain, you know, areas of interest to certain saints, mostly because they themselves were also, uh, you know, interested in that area. Just very simple example: Saint Joseph. What do you think he's the patron saint of? Well, duh, of, of the carpenters. <laughs> and so that, that there are a ton of, uh, of, of, of patron saints for all sorts of disciplines. Uh, excuse me, but I yeah. thought uh, he, he was the patron saint of the dying. Also, well, that's the cool thing. Uh, as a saint, you have the eternity, so you have plenty of time to pray. So, so carpenters and the dying, yeah, there's so many accidents. One, one, the, one, saint, one saint can be the patron saint of many different things. Actually, if you look up some of these websites that list them, you will see some, some saints have like 30 expertises. It's crazy. Oh, really? I did not know that. Because uh, I actually knew about Bosco. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because I have to explain a, that uh, sort of unofficial. I, I gotta explain that to the listener. So Don Bosco appears to be the unofficial patron saint, and, and is still con- is considered by a lot of Catholics as you know the patron saint of magicians. And so mm. you don't really need uh, a declaration of the Pope to make it official. 
usually what the Pope does is just confirming what the what they call the sensus catholicus, you know, what the what the overall feel of the Catholics is. And that's how a lot of things are decided in the Catholic Church. The Pope is not just this monarch who is, all, you know, one day wakes up and thinks, I think it is time to uh, come up with a patron saint of uh, well, magicians. Mm, I'm saying Don Bosco. No, he's, the Pope is constantly, every day is informed by the bishops, by all their diplomatic contacts and everything. He hears a lot, meets a lot of people. And so he gets a lot of information that will help him with it. And sometimes, sometimes people will just go to a Pope and ask, hey, we, f we, we feel that this needs to happen, and, well, many times the Pope will listen, and that is exactly what happened with Don Bosco. So Don Bosco is actually uh, a, a pretty recent saint um, from the 19th century, uh, a great guy, he's one of my favorite saints, because he was uh, a, a very good teacher, very concerned uh, about the fate of especially the poor children, uh, so children with parents that lived in poverty, children that lived in poverty, didn't go to school, and he wanted to do something for these kids. So, And, and he got a lot of followers that helped him. Um, and, and so this Dom, Don Bosco himself started a movement even during his life that has uh, led to countless schools and all sorts of educational projects. And even in the Netherlands here in Rotterdam, I, I went uh, filming at a... Uh, a place where they uh, basically do the same. They, 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 children from the outskirts of Rotterdam, often from poor families, from migrant families, um, they can come to this place in the woods and it's it's this huge building and they, they play with these kids and they have uh, all sorts of creative endeavors with them. It's like scouting, but then even more, I don't know, really geared to, to, towards any kid. And... And their huge inspiration is Don Bosco, and there's still a huge statue of that saint. And that, I mean, it's the Netherlands, you know, you can't get more secularized than here. So it, it just shows how much of an inspiration this guy has been up until today. And it turns out that Don Bosco actually was a magician himself. And that's something I discovered thanks to your question, because I found this awesome article here. I'm going to just uh, read a few uh, things uh, from, from this article. So in general, Yeah, please do. And th then yeah. I want to tell you something because yeah. I have some Don Bosco props oh, here cool. in my office. Cool, cool, cool. So um, in January of 2002, this was still when John Paul II was alive. Uh, I was studying at the time in Rome. Uh, a, a, a huge group of European and American magicians came to the Vatican and asked Pope John Paul II to declare John Bosco as their patron saint. And uh, some of the press, when they were covering that, they were very surprised. They were like, magic and Catholic faith, it doesn't go together. Isn't that occult? Isn't that... It's like the same knee-jerk reaction that people have when you talk about Harry Potter. It's like... <gasps> Harry Potter, that's, that's magic, that is not allowed, that is uh, contrary to the faith, it's demonic, and I'm always like, uh, it's a children's story, it's a fairy tale, <laughs> have you read any fairy tales in your life? Um, so, but anyway, the reason that they proposed Don Bosco, first of all, of course, this was happening in Italy, and uh, I think the leader of the group was an Italian magician, um, I think it was also a priest, yeah, well, anyway, so they uh, th th this article explains how Don Bosco became a magician. So when he was when he grew up uh, as a kid, 
he his father died at a very early age when when he only was two years old, and so he had to chip in with uh, the finances and take all sorts of jobs. And then when he made an extra penny for himself, he would go to the circus and to the fairs and the carnivals that would roam between the villages in that part of Italy. And he loved watching magicians uh, and see, see them do impossible things. And he was a very smart kid at the, at the time. So some, sometimes he would guess how the trick was done. He figured it out. And then he would try to replicate it himself with, you know, just stuff that he had lying around. And then he would go to these magicians after their show and ask them, can, can you please tell me how you did that? And so that's how he gathered all sorts of, in, of tricks or, or routines, as you say. Um, and then he would perform for the poor children in the neighborhood. So as a kid, he was already entertaining the other kids that couldn't go to the circus or to the fairs because they didn't have money. And then when he grew up and he became a priest and... This is around 1841. He dedicated his priesthood to working for the poor children in the city of Turin, which is all the way in the north, northwest part of, uh, uh, of Italy. So he was a chaplain for a hospice for wayward girls. Um, he spent a lot of time f finding rich people that could finance him, you know, help him to, to clothe the, the, the children and give them education and everything. But he also needed to generate some income. Um, well, no, this was not the income, but he wanted to get these kids, not only help them with clothing and, and uh, education, but he also, because he was a priest, he would like to, these kids to come to church. But church at the time, probably a thing of all times, was for older people. And then he was like, hey, I could do magic tricks. I know the kids like that because I loved it. So he would come up with all these routines and go into the neighborhoods and just do magic tricks and do a whole show even. Uh, but then he would always add a story to to each uh, magic trick. So he would have uh, like two pieces, uh, three pieces of rope, and then magically it became one rope. And then he would tell a little story about the Trinity. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one God in three persons. Um, but he would also do, do do just very simple magic tricks, like pulling coins from ears and changing pebbles in candy. And and so the children loved it. And then of course they wanted to see this cool magic magical priest also in church. So and now with the there are, actually there is a whole movement of uh, Catholic magicians and Christian magicians that uh, that that also share kind of that same com that same passion for combining both uh, education or faith education and 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 magic tricks and uh, and so that that group went to John Paul the two uh, John Paul the second and said just. To Don Bosco, that is that would be wonderful. Well, unfortunately, John Paul II was already at a very advanced age; was very ill at the time, was suffering from Parkinson's disease, probably, and so that that never happened. Um, I'm thinking I wouldn't be surprised if Pope Francis would still make that happen because he strikes me as the prototype guy who would like magic tricks i mean he's he loves to joke <laughs> around he likes to surprise people so when i always see him I, I always expect him to kind of all of a sudden make a 
rabbit appear or something like that from his robes. <laughs> that would oh, not that shock would be me something. <laughs> a pope that does magic tricks. I would love that. Yeah, why not? Well, we already have a saint who does magic tricks, so I, I guess that blesses the entire, uh, the entire, uh, um, uh, how'd you say that? The entire industry. <laughs> So, but you, so you already <laughs> knew Don Bosco. I did not know that. Tell me about it. Yeah, I, I knew about him because uh, since uh, I, I'm still, uh, I'm not a practicing, I'm not even a Catholic, but uh, I'm not for the moment practicing uh, sort of uh, Protestant mm -hmm. because there are no churches real where I live here on, on mm -hmm. the countryside. But uh, I, I do visit the local monastery from time to time. Uh, and uh, Don Bosco uh, I looked into because I knew about patron saints. Yeah. And does ma magicians have one? And what I found a few years ago was actually that no, he does not. Uh, he's not officially the patron saint of magicians. But then I was sort of Bosco. I, I, I the name sounds very familiar. And then I was l looking through my inventory, and I realized you can maybe hear them. I'm making some sounds here with the. Some cups. If you yeah. ever seen the classic routine, cups and bowls. Yes. We have three cups and uh, a bowl that d disappears and reappears, and then right. probably at the end they appear as uh, bigger bowls or fruit or something. Right. right and right. my cups that I used for many many years and that I still use if I perform the trick are called the Bosco cups, and they are actually a <laughs> replica of his cups and bowls no way i and i actually think I no that idea. his gravestone has those cups engraved on them Seriously? i'm not sure about that but i think so oh my gosh <laughs> and they are made of a swedish uh, craftsman who does uh, among the world's best magic props he has done for uh, penn and teller and david copperfield and I bought them from him a few years ago. They were very expensive, but yeah. they were worth it. Oh, wow. <laughs> a few, uh, many hundreds of dollars for each cup, and there are three of them. Whoa, okay, that, that is expensive, yes. <laughs> well, it's a lot of money, but it's not expensive. I want to make that distinguish. <laughs> because something can cost a lot of money, but it's not expensive. The... Um... The cups and balls was actually a trick which he noted, which Don Bosco no talked about in his diary. So it's yeah. one of the tricks that he describes. <laughs> I, I think it was probably his favorite because if my memory is not uh, making jokes on me, that they are on his gravestone. So we should look, uh, look that up. I've, uh, well, I've been to his, he's actually, uh, his tomb is in a church. I went there many, many years ago even before I had uh, recording equipment, so I unfortunately have even not even photos. But I remember that there is a like um, uh, a wax uh, figure looking like him that's on in, you know in a in a what is it transparent tomb thingy that's they do that a lot in Italy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it is in a beautiful church. I I think I even went yeah I went to mass there evening mass. But I don't. I, well, back then I didn't know much about uh, about the magic uh, aspects of his life. But now I need to go back. I should make a documentary and, about this. <laughs> cool and I'm that. quite sure also that he's mentioned in some of my magic books, especially because uh, he did a lot of the same magic as I do, storytelling magic. Yeah, yeah. And, that's that's uh, my favorite. My magic. master within magic, Eugene Berger, mm -hmm. who was also a theologian. He was not a Christian, but he he was deeply 
into religious and mysticism when it comes to the thinking of it. Right. And I'm quite sure that he mentions uh, Don Bosco in one of his books. I can't remember which one, and I don't have the time right now to look through my magic library because I have many of his books. But uh, it's probably in his co-written book with a Christian author. <laughs> magic and meaning something. Where he actually... I know that you have a little bit of Chinese heritage. Mm -hmm. he, he mentions a Chinese magician who talks about uh, magic, and he says that ah. magic is not tricks; it is a way. Ooh, this is the way. <laughs> Very deep and this mysterious. It sounds like Mandalorian. <laughs> hey, um, here in, in in another article, they mentioned some of the tricks that he would do. Mm -hmm. He vanished coins, red mines, knew the exact amount of money in a volunteer's pocket. He was able to fool volunteers into mistaking black for white. He would multiply balls and eggs, change water into wine. Wow. I remember. I know about another guy who did the last thing. And yes, and kill and chop up a <laughs> rooster before bringing it back to life again so that it crowed better than before. <laughs> and apparently some of his tricks are still kind of a mystery to even professional magicians. They don't know how they did it, how he did it. And the funny uh, thing which is... Which one it, don't they know? Uh, how he chopped off a head? Or? No, they don't, they don't describe that. They don't know. But, uh, because that is actually the oldest uh, described magic trick in the world. It's oh, from ancient Egypt. The rooster By a magician one. called... Uh, uh, not the the, uh, no? the the chopped off head from the bird. Oh really? Yeah, oh. it's a mag Egyptian magician called Didi, and he went in front of the pharaoh. This is like three thousand years ago, wow. and uh, because he, the pharaoh had heard of this great magician who could chop off the head of a uh, of a bird and then restore it, and really he amazing. asks the magician Didi to to do this for him, and he performs the the routine or the trick. But, uh, of course, he, he presented it as it is uh, magic for real. Mm. And then the um, uh, pharaoh brings a slave and says, can you do this with my slave as well? <laughs> and then uh, Didi says, no, 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 only works only with, with animals. <laughs> and that is very funny because uh, as a, if you are a magician and know how it is done, then it's very clear that he cannot do this yes, trick with a yeah. human. I, you can I, only do it with uh, with a bird. I, I imagine something, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that is probably the oldest recording of a magic trick ever. What I like about the the, the, the fact that Don Bosco was, was such a proponent of magic and entertaining kids is that at the time there was also this other movement that was already pretty old back then of Jansenism, which, which was super serious. You know, faith means punishment, means you have to be somber, you, only a few are going to be saved. Whereas Don Bosco is a representative of the joyful church. And, well, if you know me a little bit, I'm much more of that direction. You know, it's like... Joy what? is You're a not gift. the somber guy? <laughs> I can be very somber, but it's usually when my computer <laughs> conjures up a, a blue screen of death and I can't... I, it's worse than a bird that I've beheaded. <laughs> hey, um, Oh, yes, the blue screen of death. I've got one last question for you, uh, Samuel. Sure. Uh, what, is, what is the trick that people are the most shocked surprised about where they ask you like oh, that trick how did you do that or how does that work is there is there one trick that that people react to like this 
Yeah, that is the uh, Crazy Man's Handcuffs that I uh, talked about oh, earlier. Oh, really? Because I have been practicing this since it was my first experience of really good magic that, uh-huh. I, uh, that I saw myself. I wanted to uh, perfect that into uh, more than perfection, so to speak. So the the slight, the sleight of hand that is um, made, mm-hmm. I think, it, I guess it takes a quarter of a second, a tenth of a second, something oh, like wow. that. The hand is quicker than the eyes. You can't re- you can't even see it. Oh, and um, I have been practicing this so many times. So a few years ago, I actually needed to calculate how many hours mm-hmm. have I put into this half second, this quarter of a second, or tenth of a second, whatever it takes. Yes, and uh, I started to sort of okay. I practicing this many hours the first years uh, every day. So I realized that n- now, this year, I probably practiced that one for about a thousand hours. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that is actually one of the few tricks that I teach other magicians how right. to perform better. Because uh, even if they know how it's done, they mm-hmm. can't notice how I do it because it's probably so flawless now. There's a lot of effort that goes into this and in practice that people don't realize uh, because it has to be flawless. It has to, it has to look simple, and, but it isn't. Oh, yes, very much so. Because um, and this is also a thing that my master told me before he died, that you can only improvise when you know the script. That's true. Yeah, that's very and, true. Yeah. So that is my trick that I can uh, do in my sleep. I can wake up and have no coffee in my stream and yeah i can do that to perfection so that is probably the one that people ask me how did you do that but they add a few words that we should not utter here on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) it's in swedish we wouldn't understand anyway (laughs) hey where can people where can can people find (laughs) you on the web if they want to follow you or get a little bit of an an idea of what you do uh, is there is there a website? Do you, uh, can they follow you on on social media? You're, you're not on Facebook anymore, right? Or any social media yeah, for that matter? N- any social media. I haven't had Facebook in many many years, mm-hmm. and uh, a few weeks ago, I actually decided to get away with all social media. So I don't use Instagram. I don't use Twitter. I don't uh, use Facebook. I had a company page on Facebook. Uh-huh. Still, I deleted that one as well. So I only have my uh, homepage. Okay, and where is that? And that is samuelvarg.se. .se, from Sweden, of course. Sweden, of course. So we, we can have it be, so you can spell it correctly in the show notes or I something. I will put it in the show notes. <laughs> well, th- it was a joy having you on the show, Samuel, and uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. And thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank then we should talk about magic in movies. Oh, that that sounds good. Sounds like my <laughs> cup of tea. Hey, and uh, thank you so much for everything you do for the Discord community and for the live streams. Uh, you do a lot of um, monitoring and making sure the trolls magically disappear. So <laughs> thank you so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> that is just my honor. That is my own only lasting community that I still actually am uh, on on the internet. Well, because that is sort of uh, oh everything else is just pure 
darkness. <laughs> so this sort of uh, this has been the priest versus the magician, or the truth teller versus the liar, or <laughs> the virgin versus the fornicator. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'll pick one of those as the title of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably the first or the second. <laughs> it was good talking to you. How do you say goodbye in Swedish? Well, it's actually since you talk so much about IKEA, it's uh -huh. a Above the door when you go out for all IKEA stores oh, really? all over the world. Huh? Yeah. Written in Swedish. It says Hey Door. Hey Door? That was good, Father. Very good. All right. The pronunciation <laughs> Hey Door is um, yeah, goodbye. And when we meet, we say hey. Ah, well, that's actually pretty close to Dutch. We say hey. And, and actually, we use it also as, a, as an informal greeting. Hey, Dar. But that's it's a little bit old fashioned to say that. Hey there. <laughs> yeah, that that it's probably closer to hey there, which hello there. That would yeah, be one yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. True, 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 true. <laughs> hello there. Hmm, uh, oh yeah, be. yeah. We can talk about this for hours because I realized when I listened to the Master of Geeks that our languages are very, very close. Yes, um, but that's, that makes it so hard to for me to learn Swedish. I tried at one point, but oh my goodness, the pronunciation. Yeah, because it's too close, probably. So yeah. I know a lot of the words. It's like German. Uh, it's also ah, it's so too, so close. But Dutch is so much makes so much more sense than German. But Ger oh yeah, and German Swedish is... is extremely difficult to learn, especially the pronunciation. Okay. Well, thanks for those encouraging words. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna wrap things up, Samuel. Thank thanks you so much. So much. I'm going to make dinner for my family now. Okay. So I you have do that. to go. All right. See you later. Bye. See. Oh, that was... I pressed the mute button too quickly, but uh, that was great to have Sam on the show. Swamwell. Still, I'm still going to use uh, a bit of my time to, to master at least a few phrases. <laughs> we need to talk a little bit about science fiction to wrap things up, and then uh, for me it's also time to go prepare some food. Not for my kids, but for me. Ew. Aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! All right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of my favorite science fiction shows right now. Uh, and will be for... a. The foreseeable future and that of course is the mandalorian it is getting closer and as we know uh they have been able to to wrap up filming before the start of the of the corona crisis and so this show has been in post-production for many months now and it is coming in the fall and there are some things now finally leaking no trailer yet but as soon as there's a trailer of course i will do uh probably a very high energy reaction video on youtube but we've heard and this is from the horse's mouth this is really straight from one of the main actors we've heard that the mandalorian season two will be a lot about the background and the mythology and the current whereabouts of the dark saber now if you've not seen the first season uh, you may want to skip this because I assume that everyone who listens to this has seen 
that episode. But uh, the the very final image of the of the first season was the appearance all of a sudden of the character played by Giancarlo Esposito, that many of us knew from his role, his fantastic role, by the way, in Breaking Bad. He, he played a, a very, very evil bad guy. But in, uh, in The Mandalorian, he plays Mav Gideon. That's a biblical name, by the way. Um, and he is wielding this dark saber. So instead of having a, a very bright uh, laser core... It is completely dark, and yet it is a very powerful weapon, one of the only ones that can withstand the strength of a regular lightsaber. And so uh, th this, for many of the fans of the Clone Wars, was a huge surprise because the dark saber uh, features heavily in some of the seasons of uh, the Clone Wars. And it has a, a very long, convoluted history. Um, and every time it comes to... I think... It, I haven't finished the series yet, but I think it's also in Star Wars Rebels. Um, but anyway, to see it in a live-action series, that was new to all of us. And I was actually wondering when I heard that we were going to see the Dark... Well, no, this is afterwards. I saw the Darksaber th for the first time in the finale, and I was like, oh, I hadn't finished The Clone Wars by that time. So I went back, rewatched re The Clone Wars, and I was like, how how do they make this look real? Because it in you can do this in this in animation, have a black sword that still glows. But how are you going to pull that off? I think they did a pretty good job in um, in the Mandalorian. So now we know that 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 is the reason the reason that they put that at the end. This is this reveal that got all the hardcore Star Wars fans so excited is because it is going to be a major MacGuffin in the second season of the Mandalorian. So here is what um, uh, Giancarlo Esposito says himself, uh, quote, he, you will see more of the Darksaber. You'll get the explanation of this ancient weapon to the modern world, a collapsed world. Esposito told Deadline, where did the saber come from and how was it revived? It's a key in our second season, which will be back sooner than later. So it's a key element, a key storytelling device so that is interesting because everybody expected to the child to be again the kind of the the the, the center of the story and I, actually i'm glad they don't because that would be maybe too cheap too easy uh, but introducing this dark saber and giving it a backstory that makes sense in the context of the mandalorian i can't wait to see what they came up with according to this article the dark saber is a mandalorian made weapon um, so that is obviously one of the reasons that it is uh, appearing here in The Mandalorian. Um, the finale of season one teased also that we would learn more about Baby Yoda's origins or the child's origins in the future. But uh, that's probably a secret they will really keep for, for the, the, you know, when the, when the series premieres. Um, Esposito elaborated the saber is a key to Moff Gideon's past that's also important because we don't know who this guy is we know that he's a Grand Moff like Tarkin uh, actually I'm not even sure if he's a Grand Moff but he's definitely a Moff uh, but we, we don't know where he comes from we don't ex exactly know what his role is in the overall story um, I've, I don't know I can speculate but it doesn't make sense because we have not enough data to, to play with 
So the saber is a key to his past, which possibly has a lot to do with where he comes from. Could he be from Mandalore? Hmm. But also his desire to build a planet and bring it back together. To build a planet and bring it back together. So is he going to be from Mandalore? Is that his... Does he want to reunite the, Ma the Mandalorians? Or it's so intriguing. Is he a, a traitor? Maybe. Uh, hmm. But his what 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 this quote makes clear is that his ambitions are way bigger than we all thought at the end of season one. I thought it was just just a random evil guy from what remains of the Empire. Turns out he may want to replace what the Empire has lost and be in charge of it. So, fascinating. I really think that they have the best storytellers right now working on that series, and I can't wait to see what they do with the story. And with that, it is time to wrap things up here on the show. Thanks to Samuel for uh, appearing on the show as uh, my special guest. I hope you enjoyed that, and also you enjoyed the rest of the show. I'll be back, of course, with more. And for my patrons, I have another hour for you to listen to, and that is Father Roderick to the Max with... A show that is very much like this show, but very different topics. And in this week's episode, I will give you the recipe for one of my favorite Italian desserts. And again, it's one of those desserts that you don't find that easily in Italy, because everybody assumes that tourists only want to get gelato. But I have to live there for two years, so that's when they start treating you as more than a tourist, and you can actually get a taste of what they actually get for dessert. So I have a easy to make, but very yummy, very addictive dessert. I'll Father Roderick to the max. I'll also talk a little bit more about liturgy and uh, technology. I will uh, summarize the gear that I use to film my documentaries. It is all lightweight, it's all super small. I've always get, I'm always getting questions about it. So for those of you that are interested in the episode of week 35 of Father Roderick to the Max Owl. Give you the full list and also comment on why I chose that equipment to fill my television show with. All that and more for my patrons. If you want to be part of the Patreon community and you can help, because not everyone can, go over to patreon.com slash Roderick. Thank you and talk to you soon. May the Force be with you. Mm -hmm.